Hello, welcome. I'm Ben Thompson. This is BBC News Now. The Ukrainian military says Kyiv has come under missile attack as a delegation of African leaders visits the country to discuss ways to end the war with Russia. The Air Force says it shot down a dozen rockets, including hypersonic missiles, during the attack. At least two explosions were heard in the capital. Ukraine's foreign minister said the message to Africa was clear. Russia wants more war, not peace. Well, the African delegation is making its way to the capital. It said it would press on with plans to meet President Zelensky before visiting Vladimir Putin on Saturday. Let's take you live now to our correspondent, Yelda Hakim, who is in the village on the outskirts of Kyiv. It's a village that was hit by those airstrikes. Uh, Yelda, this all becoming horribly familiar. Just tell us what you saw and what you heard. Yeah, Ben, a day and night, uh, people across this country are dealing with uh, air raid sirens and then the reality that it is a Russian missile or drone that's targeting uh, an area. A little uh, earlier this morning, we were forced under a uh, underground bunker because, of course, there were uh, those air raid sirens that went off. And then we saw, actually, uh, those air defence systems uh, and the plumes of smoke from the air defence systems. And then we heard uh, what had happened in other parts parts of the capital and here on the outskirts. Uh, now, I can just show you a house just behind me. Uh, the smoke you can still see uh, in the distance uh, where that house has been completely destroyed. I'm told a woman uh, around 80 years old lived there. And uh, as you can see, I mean, her home is completely destroyed. We got a little bit more information to say that it is debris as a result of the air defense systems really working away. And, and the house that I'm just going to show you now, we're going to pan over to is uh, where a 12-year-old boy uh, lived as well and he uh, was injured his foot was injured uh, a little while ago I spoke to him and uh, he told me what that uh, experience was like he said that they have been living in these circumstances for the entire year but he's never been so scared as uh, he uh, was earlier this morning when he heard the air raid sirens and then he realized it was a missile strike just have a listen та поліс укриття. Потім я зрозумів, що щось сталося погане. So I understood that this is the missile because I heard the sound like you know when a jet is flying like an aircraft when it's fl flee you you can uh, the specific sound I recognize it and I understood that I need to hide somewhere. So I went to the shelter and after that yeah that was that, that was it basically. And what were you thinking when you realized there was an attack? зрозумів, що може мене не бути, що все, що в мене тут є, його не буде і все. Well, I understood that I can die and that what we all have here will will be gone. Will be destroyed. That's what I understood. Is this something you've been feeling for the past year? Так страшно, як сьогодні не було. Відчуття, звісно, було страху, але не таке, як сьогодні. Сьогодні просто я нічого не зрозумів. I never felt so scary as today. I mean, I mean it was uh, for for some time already, but uh, today it was something exceptional and honestly speaking, I didn't understand what, what happened. And when did you phone your mom? How did you get in touch with your mom? Потім написав їй SMS, воно дійшло, зняв відео і Так, ми з нею зв'язалися. 
So I called my mom when I went out of the bunker because um, there was there is no connection in there. And I called my mom, but she also had no connection. So then I wrote her a message and I also saw uh, sent her a video. And that's how she understood what happened and came here. You must have been petrified. Так, так, так. Мене в цей час не було вдома, і зазвичай ми не ховаємося в укриття. В нас є одна кімната, де спрацьовує правило двох стін, тому навіть коли ракети ми від I was extremely scared because I was not at home with him. He was home alone. And you know what is funny? That we quite often hear, we hear missiles, we have drones flying about our village. And normally, because it's happening for so such a long time, normally recently we started go to the cellar that we use as a shelter. And we have like room, a deep room in the, in, in the house that has this two-wall rule. So we follow the two-wall rules. And I'm so grateful to my son because even though he's 12 years old, he managed to make a decision. And if I would be home, we would probably stay in the house. But he made a decision and he went to the cellar to for cover. Well, you just heard there from a mother and son in living in this community. Virtually every house in this street has been impacted in some way, either completely destroyed or, or damaged. Already the community here is uh, trying to clean up the rubble. The police have arrived, the uh, emergency workers arrived uh, a little early, and as you can see, uh, the police have cordoned off uh, the area. They've asked us not to go in. You can probably see also uh, the plumes of smoke uh, in that uh, house that I was showing you uh, a little earlier. It's, it's really sort of gathering pace with the smoke. Uh, and, and I can see from here, actually, uh, probably a little bit of a, a fire as well. So um, real, I'll just ask uh, our cameraman to move uh, because the police are just trying to get, get through. Um, but I'm also told that, that uh, you know, we are in, in northern parts of, of the outskirts of, of Kiev and, and the Russians are, are launching their, their rockets from from further out that way. So, um, you know, this is feeling very real for, for the people here who, since early last year, very much felt like, okay, the Russian uh, column of tanks that they had uh, seen on the outskirts of the capital had disappeared, even though every now and then the air defense systems are hard at work uh, trying to deal with those uh, missile strikes, trying to deal with the drones that get sent to the capital. And again, as you say, the, Rus uh, the African delegation is here as well and the uh, Ukrainian foreign minister has said well you know they bring a message of peace but is this the kind of peace that Vladimir Putin uh, is talking about so um, this is just the, the reality that this particular community is experiencing and they feel quite lucky there are no fatalities here although we know that six people have been left injured including the 12 year old boy that you saw in in the clip a little earlier uh, and of course the the elderly woman uh, some press Ukrainian press have are gathered here. Um, the local community are, are trying to put out the smoke now. The police are still here and they're trying to keep people safe, so they've asked them to stay away from uh, the, the actual site of where um, uh, the, the action basically uh, took place. But we're going to spend uh, the rest of our day here reporting from, from this scene, speaking to the local community to get a sense of how they're feeling in the midst of all of this. Yolda, thank you. It's, it's good to get that sense of geography of what really is happening on the ground there where you are. Uh, we'll be back with you throughout the day, as you said, as you can bring us more details about what's happened in that latest missile attack. Uh, Yolda Hakim, thank you. So as Yolda was telling us, this all happening, of course, as an African peace delegation uh, is making its way to the Ukrainian capital to try and broker some sort of peace deal. That delegation includes leaders from South Africa, from Zambia and from Egypt. Now, 
Countries across Africa are under pressure from soaring food prices, made worse, of course, by that war in Ukraine. Pierre-Antoine Denis looks now at what's at stake for those countries and why they believe they may find a breakthrough. There are a few reasons why these six men believe they may have a path to peace between Russia and Ukraine. But let's start with their joker card, the non-alignment policy. Since the beginning of the war, Africa as a continent tried to remain as far away from the war as possible. In fact, four of the six leaders that are heading to the two countries have officially abstained from condemning the war at the UN. But aren't they droning already? Because if we look at this man, Cyril Ramaphosa, the South African president, and leader of this delegation, well, he is in a bit of a strange position because despite claiming his neutrality over the war, his country has done military exercises with Russia and China back in February. And South Africa is planning a low change over a potential Vladimir Putin ICC arrest warrant should the Russian president come to the country at the end of the summer for a summit. So that is really angering Washington, that is threatening to pull its funding from the country. But this view is really popular at home in South Africa. And Cyril Maposa really need a win as well as all as well as all these leaders, because economically Africa is already a collateral victim of the war. These are the words of the African Union last year. Indeed, the record is striking because in 2022, as a result of the war, there has been a 14.5% average inflation all across the continent. Many reasons for that, of course, you have, we have seen an oil shortage and queues at petrol stations, but more importantly, the prices of key commodities like wheat and cooking oil have been drastically affected because of the continent's dependence on Ukrainian wheat export. So no matter who they root for, these six men have a lot to play for during this trip to the two countries and this is not a simple diplomatic parade. So Pierre-Antoine Denis there uh, looking at why that African delegation may thinks it can, uh, may th uh, thinks it may be able to uh, achieve a peace deal. Um, Let's show you what's happening right now in St. Petersburg. This is where President Putin is speaking. He's been on his feet now for ooh, about an hour and a half addressing leaders there uh, about, so they are business leaders. It's an economic summit. It's a regular feature of his diary, but we know it's important as well for him to keep the business community on side. Uh, he's been talking uh, about all sorts of things. Uh, most notably, though, not the war in Ukraine. He's addressed economic growth. He says the Russian economy on track to grow by 2% this year. He's talked about how Russia is meeting its climate targets. He's talked about international diplomacy. We know, for example, this morning meeting the uh, ruler of the United Arab Emirates. Uh, and he's also been talking about uh, international relations and what is at stake as Russia tries to project a more sovereign, more independent uh, role right around the world. Uh, but at the same time in Brussels, the uh, head of NATO, the NATO Secretary General uh, Jens Stoltenberg has been speaking, also touching on events in Ukraine. He's talked there about the importance of Ukraine growing closer to NATO. There's been a lot of discussion about whether Ukraine will be permitted membership uh, to NATO. Uh, but just a line uh, related to what Jan Stoltenberg was calling for uh, a marit establishing a maritime centre for what they call the protection of undersea infrastructure. Now, we take that to mean some of the important uh, telecommunications connections that lie at the bottom of the sea. Uh, they are particularly vulnerable to uh, attack, sabotage, interference 
uh, and notably that is a claim that has been levelled at Russia on a number of occasions. So Jens Stoltenberg there saying that NATO has agreed to establish a centre that will protect undersea infrastructure. He's also talked about the need for an increase in defence spending of NATO members, one would assume largely to support uh, events in Ukraine. We know many, many members providing training and military equipment and hardware for the war in Ukraine. Uh, so that uh, is St. Petersburg. Uh, that uh, President Putin. Let's take you to Brussels, though, and we can sp uh, hear from the US Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. Uh, he will also be addressing that war in Ukraine. Let's listen in. Also continuing to move forward to adapt NATO nuclear deterrence uh, to our shifting threat environment. NATO is also deepening its cooperation with partners in the Indo-Pacific, especially on protecting critical infrastructure and cyberspace. And our work together with, with Indo-Pacific partners is vital for protecting the rules, rights, and norms that make us all safer. So I'm enormously proud of all the progress that NATO has made since we last came together. The Alliance faces, faces historic challenges, but we're meeting those challenges with confidence and, above all, with unity. Make no mistake, we will not be drawn into Putin's war of choice but we will strengthen NATO's defense and deterrence. We will defend every inch of NATO territory, and we will continue to defend the open world of rules and rights that NATO has so proudly supported for nearly 75 years. So thank you very much, and I'll be glad to take a couple of questions. Thank you, Mr. Secretary. First question will go to Christopher Gordon, Air and Space Forces Magazine. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Secretary, in what ways would NATO's security be strengthened if Sweden uh, were to become a member of the alliance in the upcoming months? How specifically would such a development enhance the alliance's military and deterrence capabilities in the Nordic region and generally? Why is it important? And if Sweden is not admitted into the alliance soon, what specific steps will the U.S. take to safeguard Sweden's security in the meantime, would there be more military deployments, exercises, training, planning? Uh, what will the U.S. do to prepare the way for Sweden's eventual integration into NATO and protect in the meantime? And if I may ask a related question, sir, did you make any headway in your meeting with Turkey today uh, on winning support for Sweden's uh, accession into NATO? And can the uh, provision of F-16s to Turkey go ahead if Turkey does not agree to Sweden's accession into NATO? Hey, Chris, I, I, uh, I lost you on about the 10th question there, but, <laughs> but uh, we'll, uh, we'll try to catch up here. Uh, first of all, um, in terms of the value that Sweden brings to, uh, to NATO, as you know, Chris, Sweden is a strong democracy. And, it, and, it's, and it's a country with a, a substantial military capability. Uh, they've invested over the years in modernization. Uh, we have trained with them uh, in a number of cases. And, and so uh, being interoperable on a, in a very short period of time uh, would be no challenge with, uh, with Sweden. And I was just in Sweden a couple of, couple of weeks ago, as you may know. Uh, and I had the opportunity to spend some time with the, uh, with the Minister of Defense 
and, uh, and also got a chance to look at some of their capabilities. Very impressed with the, the leadership in, the, in our military and, and, uh, and the enthusiasm and commitment of their troops. Uh, uh, so what they bring is, uh, again, substantial uh, military capability, a modern force, and they've invested a lot in their force. Um, I was also impressed by their domain awareness, maritime domain awareness and, uh, and the uh, uh, awareness of what's going on in the, in the skies around them as well and in the region. Uh, so they bring uh, that with, uh, to, the, to NATO as well. It will enhance our ability uh, to, uh, to be aware of what's going on in the maritime and, and the aerial domains. Um, you ask about uh, increasing activity with, uh, with Sweden. We've done that already. We've increased the number of uh, exercises and, and uh, ship visits and a number of other things with Sweden. And so, uh, you know, I, I, think, uh, I think we've, made, we've continued to make progress uh, and, and increased our opportunities to, uh, to work towards greater interoperability. So very, uh, I think, very encouraging. Now, you mentioned my interaction with uh, my Turkish uh, colleague. Uh, you know, he's, uh, he's a brand new minister, recently installed. So my purpose in meeting him today was to uh, just, you know, an, an introductory meeting, just to congratulate him on being installed as Minister of Defense. And of course, you know, I seize every opportunity to encourage him to, uh, to move forward uh, and approve the of the accession of, uh, of Sweden. So, but it's a very short meeting, and uh, I don't have anything to report out from that, from that encounter. So. Thank you, sir. Next question, go to Politico EU. Lily? So there we will leave Brussels and the U.S. Defense Secretary that's talking about uh, that ongoing war in Ukraine. One of his key lines there, we must be patient, he said, as Ukraine wages its military campaign, referring, of course, to that counteroffensive that uh, has now begun as Ukrainian forces try to uh, win back ground that has been seized by Russia. The other image you were looking at was President Putin. He's speaking to an economic conference in St. Petersburg. Uh, we're going to follow both of those events uh, and uh, bring you any uh, further developments as we get them.